sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Thought I had a little more time. I scarfed down a piece of pizza. I'm sorry. Katie, did you cut the announcement short? You're, you're killing me. Hold on a second. I found this pizza place that has the closest thing to a New York City pizza that I've eaten in the 26 years since I moved here. I need to actually probably swallow this or I'm going to spit it on all of you guys. <laughs> Should have taken a smaller bite too. Mm, that's good. It was the kind of pizza where you take the slice, you fold it, see that? You fold it in half and the grease from the melted mozzarella and from the tomato sauce, when you bite in the pizza, it just drips down your arm, runs off your elbow. That's a slice of pizza. Well, that isn't it. That place is up in the spring area, but I found a pretty decent pizza locally, and I thought I could scarf a quick slice down before I came up. And Katie, you're killing me. My mother would be so mad at me right now. Not because I was talking with my mouth full, and not because I wiped my hands on my, pad, on my pants, but because I didn't bring enough for everybody. She would think that was rude of me, and I guess that would be true if you guys liked pizza. Do you guys like pizza? Yeah. Oh, man, you're killing me too. I wish I could just multiply what I have so that all of you guys could have some. That'd be a story, wouldn't it? If I just took the pizza and I just started breaking it into pieces and passing it out and it multiplied so all of you guys could have your fill, that would be a story for the ages. I'm not going to do that. This, this morning as we step into week two of the Your God is Too Small series, I want to use a story from the Bible that for me fits so perfectly into the premise of the series which is the reality that no matter how big we think God is, he's bigger yet. Whatever our vision, whatever our understanding of God is, of the extent of his love and his grace and his power, no matter how high and lofty our vision of God is, it is always too small. That even in our most faith-filled moments, our, our God-focused moments, the reality is, that our finite minds will never fully comprehend the magnitude, the vastness of who God really is, what he's really capable of doing. And yet, if we would consistently strive to maintain this pervasive sense of his immensity, as finite as that might be, if we would strive to maintain a pervasive sense of his immensity, it could it would make a difference in our lives. It would be a difference maker. See, there is always this discernible, if not dramatic influence on our practical experience of the infinite love and grace and power of God that Jesus came to offer every person who would trust him when our perspective on the bigness of God is clear and present in our mind and in our heart. And so the strategy behind the series is that so often we're compelled to see more clearly the immensity of who God is 
through stories, through stories, through stories that are included in Scripture where God has acted on behalf of people, through God's stories of people down through the ages that we can come to know, even a real-life contemporary one like the one we heard from Ashley Smith Robinson last week, but also through the stories that we can actually see, feel, and touch because they're our own God story. Or they're the God story of someone that's very close to us. That when we hear the story, all we can do is just shake our head and say, you can't make this stuff up. You just can't make this stuff up. Only God. Only God. The story, it is so far out of the bounds of rational thought and what we would ever expect to happen. No one would ever make a story like this up because no one would ever believe it. Except that the story is true. We know that the story is true. And only a big God can do that. And so the series is structured all around stories. And last week we heard a real life story. We could see it, feel it, and touch it because Ashley was right up here on the stage and it was a story that just made your head go poof. You just can't make that story up. And I'm going to share a story today that's from Scripture, and my hope is that it will inspire some awe in our big God, but also some hope in our lives. So the story, it comes from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44, and this is the you-can't-make-this-stuff-up kind of story. It's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. He takes five loaves of bread and two fish, And he multiplied them to feed 5,000 men, plus all of the women and children that were with them. How big must God be in order to take five loaves of bread, a couple of fish, and feed far beyond 5,000 people? If he can do that, he could take that slice of pizza and multiply it among all of you. How big must that God be? And so as we read the scripture together... I want you to approach it from the perspective that it really happened. Because it really did. It really did happen. And as I work my way through the the passage in sections, which we'll display on the screens for you, try and imagine you're one of the apostles in the story. Just try and imagine yourself in the story if you can. All right, here we go. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 31. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So here's the setting. This was a time in Jesus' public ministry that was at a feverish pace. For both Jesus, but for the apostles too. Leading up to the story, Jesus was healing people with diseases. He was restoring sight to the blind. He was making paralyzed limbs function. He was casting out demons. He raised people from the dead. He has become a very big deal. And the demand for his attention has been all-consuming. He and the apostles... They need a break. They need a break. So the passage continues in verses 30 through, uh, 32 through 34. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. 
But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. No rest for the weary. By the time Jesus and the apostles, they reached this quiet place to be alone, it ain't so quiet anymore. This massive crowd that scripture refers to as sheep without a shepherd has gathered. And that is not some random analogy. You see, sheep without a shepherd, they go hungry. Sheep can't provide adequate nourishment for themselves. They can't find sufficient food to live on. And it's so analogous to the human condition. People who lack the good shepherd, as Jesus describes himself in John chapter 10, they go hungry. Maybe sometimes physically, but more prevalently, without him to inspire their souls, to satisfy their inner longings for peace and love and joy, they become malnourished in ways that extend far beyond physical hunger. See, without the good shepherd, people have only themselves to depend on as they seek to meet the cravings of life for purpose, for assurance, for direction, for provision of every nature. Without Jesus, they only have themselves to tap into to, to seek the answers to struggles of life, such as sickness and loneliness and emptiness and even death. Sheep without a shepherd. That's what the people in the story are, and that's what we are too, without the good shepherd. And so Jesus, he's surveying these lost sheep, and his solution is to teach them many things. That's what the passage says. And truly, when you look deeply into Jesus' ministry, when you consider all of his teachings that are recorded in the Bible, you find that they can all point back to the sheep without a shepherd analogy. They can all point back to that. And so Jesus is feeding the sheep with his teaching. <clears throat> so the story, it continues to unfold. Mark chapter 6 Verses 35 through 36. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. <clears throat> Jesus didn't have this self-imposed time limit for his sermons like we have. I bet you're so glad about that. Like most churches have. He would stand before the people teaching for hours upon hours upon hours. And so some of his followers, they come up to him and they interrupt him and they remind him that daylight is running out. And based on where they are geographically, if the sermon doesn't end soon and the people don't leave now, they won't be eating. They won't be eating. And seeing how Jesus had the mic, so to speak, they just suggest that he ought to send the people off to buy food before it's too late. And I have to confess, his, his reply to them and their visceral 
incredulous response to his reply, it made me laugh out loud. But Jesus said to them, you feed them. Can you imagine that? Looking out over this crowd of 5,000 men and all the women and all the children. And Jesus says, you feed them. With what, they ask? We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all of these people. Now, I have read this verse many, many times, and it never evoked a belly laugh before. But as I asked you to do, I put myself into the story as I was preparing as one of the apostles. And so I imagined my response, if I would have been there, and he just said, you see all those 5,000 people out there? You feed them. You feed them. In the moment, I considered the first time, probably, I encountered what I knew was not just a number one in my first child's diaper. And so I, I take Deanna, and I bring her to her mother, who probably smelt us coming, and I said, we have a problem here. Deanna needs to be changed. And her reply was, you change her. That was not the response I was expecting. Like, I am stopped dead in my tracks. I felt ill-equipped, a little paralyzed in that moment. And Jesus' response, it wasn't what they were expecting. They felt ill-equipped to handle the problem. And here's the deal. Jesus knew that they were, in and of themselves, ill-equipped to handle the problem. So why would he say to them, you feed them? This is Jesus. And he already knew what he was going to do to address the need for food. Wouldn't it have been much more kinder for him to do what he knew he was going to do without traumatizing them with this impossible ask? But what would have been lost was the opportunity to teach them and to teach us. See, here was the brilliance of how Jesus handled the situation. He compelled them to declare before him their insufficiently, insufficiently, sufficiency to meet the need. He compelled them to declare before him their insufficiency to meet the need. And in this moment of insufficiency, in dealing with the situation, they are seemingly and effectively paralyzed. Like, what are we supposed to do? There is no way. Have you ever been? Or are you possibly now in a situation where you have assessed your resources and you've realized that they are insufficient to meet your needs? Have you ever felt, or are you maybe feeling right now effectively paralyzed by some dynamic of life that you don't have a clue what to do? You just look at what you have and you're like, there is no way. That's these guys. I can see them just standing there clueless and hopeless. And I wonder how long Jesus made them hang like that. I wonder how long. Before he asked them to consider, what do you have? What do you have? See, they simply just threw the talon. And that wasn't good enough for Jesus. Personal responsibility, personal accountability, it disappears when one simply dishes a problem to someone else. And that's not good enough for Jesus. And so he compels them to take stock of what they do have. And they hadn't done that. They just, they just viscerally responded, with what? 
So he compels them to consider what they do have. And then based on that, he directs them to take a critical action step. Critical action step. This is a quick aside. The story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, it's the only miracle that Jesus uh, uh, did that is recorded in all four Gospels. And so knowing I was going to teach through this story, I studied the details of all of the accounts as I was preparing for this morning. And I struck gold in Matthew. I struck gold in Matthew on a detail that he included that Mark left out. Five words in Matthew that Mark didn't record that are gold. And so I've taken the liberty of inserting Matthew chapter 14, verse 18, into the appropriate spot in the Mark text of verse 38. And if you read the whole thing in Matthew, you'll see all of the words that Matthew uses leading up to these five words. They're all the same. Okay, that Mark, that Mark used. And I've italicized them so you'd, you'd know what this, this Matt, these Matthew words are. So Jesus, he's instructed the apostles to feed the people. They properly recognize they have insufficient resources and they throw in the towel. But Jesus isn't satisfied. So here's Mark chapter 6, verse 38, and Matthew chapter 14, verse 18. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. Jesus compels them to take stock of the resources that they do have. Then he says, then come back. They they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. So they went out, they took stock, they came back, they said, we got five loaves of bread and two fish. Now here's the critical action step. Here are the five words of gold from the Matthew account. Bring them here, he said. Bring them here. Jesus is saying, don't just throw in the towel. Really consider the resources that you do have as meager or even non-existent as you may think they, they are and bring them to me. And he says the same thing to us as we face what appears to be overwhelming challenges or even overwhelming opportunities and we're paralyzed and we don't know what to do. Jesus says, hey, don't just throw in the towel. Take stock of the resources you have, even as non-existent as you may think they are, and bring them to me. And so that happens here. And then the part of the story that makes this a you-cannot-make-this-stuff-up kind of story. Mark chapter 6, verses 39 through 44. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100 Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up towards heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted and afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Jesus takes this meager offering of five loaves of bread and of two fish, and he multiplies it. He multiplies it, and 5,000 men and all of the women and children with them, they all eat to their heart's content. And then get this, the story says that after everyone's done eating, they picked up the leftovers even more than what they started with. Are you kidding me? 
Like, nobody could make this story up. Nobody would believe this story, except it's true. It happened. That's what a big God can do. And the reality is, is that sometimes we can be so malnourished, so beaten down, our resources are so meager that we see no reason to even bring them to Jesus. We're just ready to throw in the towel, just like those apostles did. There are some of you in this room that are feeling that way right now. And I say this to you with all of the humility that I can muster. Your God is too small. Your God is too small. And and some of you are here this morning and you're thinking, my life feels pretty nourished right now. I've got all all the resources I need. No need to ask Jesus to multiply anything for me right now. And I say to all of you in the room that might think that, and I say this with a little less humility, your God is too small. Your God is too small. And for those of you that are somewhere in between, remember that no matter how big you think God is, he is bigger yet. And he's in the story-making business. Friends, the essence of all of Jesus' teaching for all of us, for them, for us, bring me your resources. Bring me your resources, and I will multiply them in a manner that will truly satisfy the needs, the cravings, the longings in your life. And so with that said, all of us need to claim a more pervasive sense of the bigness of God in our minds and in our hearts. Because there are God stories waiting to, be ha- waiting to happen in this room that aren't happening because we're not bringing our resources to God. We're not saying, God, this is what I got. I don't think it's enough. I need you to multiply it for me. There are stories in this, God stories in this room waiting to happen. And so there's two things I want to suggest in order for you to, to either reclaim if you've drifted and it's so easy to drift, or maybe claim for the first time just this pervasive sense of the bigness of God. And the first is, soak yourself in God stories. Soak yourself, immerse yourself in God stories from Scripture, like we looked at today, that are included in the devotional we created for this series that some of you may have taken last week. I hope you're soaking yourself in those stories. There's more of them on the back on the way out if you need them. Soak, immerse yourself in stories, God stories from Scripture. And then expose yourself as well to appropriate, documented God stories of other people throughout history. Or even contemporary ones like Ashley last week. There are all sorts of books and movies and resources that have been written about people that God has done incredible, amazing things in their life. And you should take some of those in because they're mind-blowing. And they give us this picture Uh, to see just what God can do in people's lives. But maybe most profoundly, we need to revisit the God stories from our own lives or from the lives of those that are closest to us. Frankly, they're, they're everywhere in this room, and they are real, and they are credible because we've lived them. And they're huge. And you need to revisit those regularly 
And so I've set out to intentionally restore this pervasive sense of the immensity of God in my heart, in my mind, by taking in a diversity of God stories. And, and I want to encourage you to do the same thing. And I think it will make a difference in the, in the awareness that you have of who God really is, how big he really is, what this big God is really capable of doing. And then secondly, I've begun to ask God to help me consider what resources in my life that I need to bring to him to multiply. What are the resources in my life that I need to bring to him to multiply? And some of them have been pretty obvious. There's been a couple of surprises. But if I, as I've started to ask Jesus to start multiplying those as he's revealing them to me, I can authentically say I have experienced a discernible difference in my life in the last couple of weeks. I live about four miles from the church, maybe a little less. There are nine traffic lights along the way. Nine. And lately it seems that I've been getting stuck at every one of them, coming and going, and it's been ticking me off. If you have seen me at a, sitting at a traffic light and I am pounding my hand on the steering wheel or on the dashboard, I am not rocking out to my favorite music. I, I am ticked. I have been ticked. How dumb is that? But of course, it's not the traffic lights that are the problem. It's my patience. So I passed my patience resource through the filter of the sheep without a shepherd analogy. And it was lacking. No surprise. And I literally, in the last couple of weeks, I've literally been offering it to God like this. God, my patience is running thin. Would you take what little I have and multiply it? And he's done that. And God has such an amazing sense of humor. So I haven't felt like I've been getting any more green lights than I was. But I've been breaking out in a laugh when the lights are turning red on me. And I think here's the point. No joy lost anymore. As I've gotten this multiplication of patience in my life and that light turns red, I, I've been laughing. I've been imagining God's right next to me and I'm like, <laughs> that's hysterical. And there's no joy lost in my life anymore. In fact, there's joy added. Do you need God to multiply patience in your life? Might the way you respond to the traffic or to a spouse or a child or a coworker suggest that your patience resource is lacking? God wants to multiply it. I'm, I'm also discerning through this process, I needed God to multiply my, my compassion for people. You know, God's prized possession is people. And I found that I had this meager level of compassion in my heart for people. And I needed God to multiply my capacity for me to love others. Oh, I can fake it pretty good sometimes. But the frustration, the irritability I was sensing towards people, <laughs> none of you, of course. But uh, can you relate the, the, that, that level of frustration and irritability towards people? It became this red flag as I was asking God, what do I need to multiply in my life? And I knew that I needed to start asking him to multiply my compassion and my ability to love other people. And so I've just been offering my selfish heart to God. Here's all the compassion I got. It's not too much right now, but would you multiply it? Would you multiply it? Do you need some multiplication here? Are there insufficient resources in you to love and have compassion on other people? Well, people are God's most prized possession. We should have compassion on them. 
Here's one that caught me a little by surprise. There's a man in the church who I consider to be this God-given guardian and protector of me. I trust this man with every part of my life, and he often texts me this two-word question. It simply says, you good? Question mark. You good? And it's an invitation to authentically and transparently share how life is going. And so I got one of those texts in the midst of preparing for the message. And my reply text was that, I don't know, emoji, and a less than confident comment about the message prep. This man knows how I let message prep literally suck the life out of me. And his response was a classic head slap. It said, Dana, your God is too small. Ouch. Dana, your God is too small. And he was right. I needed God to multiply my faith. And so with my ears ringing from the head slap, I simply and humbly brought to God what little faith I had that I would have anything meaningful to say today. And that I could even get today without dying of a panic attack. I literally opened my hands this week and I just offered God the meager faith that I had and I asked him to multiply it. I said, God, please multiply this little faith. Maybe some of you are facing a situation where you need to ask God to multiply your faith. Your faith that he is big enough, that he's capable enough, that he loves you enough, that he has enough power to act on your behalf. Maybe it's a financial situation or a job situation. Maybe it's health. I don't know what it is. But bring your meager faith about it to God and just ask him to multiply it. Just affirm to him, man, my faith is insufficient here, God. But I'm bringing it to you. Would you multiply it? Because he will. He will. What about contentment in your life? Are you content with your season of life? Or do you need to take a contentment that's lacking and ask God to multiply it? Do you need God to multiply your humility? Have you seen the damage that pride can cause in relationships with people and with God? Does God need to multiply your humility? What about wisdom? Do you need God right now to multiply your wisdom or your courage or your hope or your peace? Does he need to multiply your self-control right now? Ask him. Here's a good one. Do you need God to multiply your capacity for forgiveness? Do you need God to multiply your capacity for forgiveness? Is there someone that has caused you pain that you just don't have the internal resources to forgive? Or maybe you don't have the capacity to forgive yourselves. Friends, a lack of forgiveness, it is cancerous to our soul. God can multiply your capacity to forgive. All you need to do is bring it to him. I'll give you one more. Some of you are going to hate this one. Some of you are going to hate this one. Maybe you need to ask God to multiply your passion to bring the ample resources that he has given you in terms of time and talent And yes, even dollars, even dollars to his kingdom work. Yeah, ouch, don't make eye contact. 
You have the time. He has given you time. He has given you talent. He has given you ample resources and dollars. He's given them to you, and he intends for you to put them into play into his kingdom work in some manner beyond, maybe far beyond that's what, that which you have. There's some of you in the room like that right now. Do you guys know where the five loaves and the two fish came from? Do you, do you know? Here again, Mark leaves this detail out. Where did the fish and the loaves come from? Mark doesn't tell us. All we know is Jesus took them and he multiplied them and he did a miracle. But the account in the Gospel of John, it tells us. John chapter 6, verse 9, it says that the bread and the fish came from a young boy. All five loaves and the two fish, they came from a young boy. He wasn't going to go hungry if the crowd wasn't dismissed from Jesus' teaching. In his circumstances, his resources weren't meager at all. They were ample, maybe even abundant in his circumstances. But for this boy, in this moment, it was not enough that his own needs were being met. He wasn't going to selfishly hoard the resources that he had, and so he offers the resources to Jesus. He says, hey, here's what I got. It's five loaves and it's two fish. Take it, Jesus. Multiply it as you see fit for the kingdom good. And Jesus does. And this story has been used for the good of the kingdom for as long as we've had scripture. And in fact, it probably started being used long before that like when that story was unfolding. Listen, some of you in here, you need to ask God to multiply your passion for putting your resources that he's given you into play for his kingdom work. And that may be a hard, a hard pill to swallow and a hard one to hear and a, and a harder one to do, but maybe that's some of you. Friends, our big God is in the multiplication business. And when he multiplies, our lives are always enriched, always enriched. And so I close this, this way. This morning when you came in, you found a sticker on your seat. I feel like God's been using stickers to change my life. It's a capital M, just leveraging the word multiply. Leveraging the word multiply. And my hope for you, as it is for me, is that you might simply put this sticker someplace where you would see it regularly, I still have a sticker from, from last summer on here, that you would put it someplace where you would see it regularly, and it would encourage you, because you've been here today, so you know the context of the sticker, it would encourage you to be, to be taking in God's stories regularly, stories from Scripture, stories about people throughout history where God has done amazing things through them, Remembering God's stories in your own life or in the life of the person you love that's sitting next to you that you've seen and you just know is real. So the hope with the stickers, you would, you would be use, begin using stories to reclaim or claim for the very first time this pervasive sense of just how big our God is. And then also that you would then see the sticker and you would see the capital M and you would begin to regularly ask God, what is it in my life? What resource in my life is lacking right now? In all of the dynamics of life, what resource is lacking that if I would just bring it to you, you would begin to multiply it? That's the idea behind the silly little sticker. And I hope that you'll take it, and I hope that 
maybe it could make a difference because he wants you to do that and he wants to do his part too. Father in heaven, thank you so much for, uh, for this morning. Thank you, Father, so much for the head slap that you administered through my friend's text. Uh, I needed it. I drifted and I needed it. And I'm so thankful now that my sense, my, my sense of how big you really are, even though it could never fully comprehend that, is growing. And because of that, it's making a difference in my life. And I'm thankful for that. And I pray, Father, that, uh, that the words that, that you've offered today through me might be encouragement for my friends in the room, that that would be the case for them too, that they would begin to take in stories, God's stories, into their own lives, and that it would begin to encourage them. And then they would very humbly or maybe from this broken state, begin to affirm their insufficiency in terms of the resources they have, or maybe the ample resources they have, and they would just bring them to you and ask you to begin multiplying them because you want to, and because when you do, their lives will be enriched. And I pray this with great hope and great expectation. In Jesus' name, amen.